when uh, he worked to help these young ladies. He wanted to be a savior. He wanted to free, to make free his people. But as probably you know, he started the wrong way. But first of all, we can see that when he left Egypt to flee because he was a murderer, the impression that he gave to these young ladies is that he was an Egyptian. So probably the first lesson that Moses needs to, to learn is that he can't work for God still looking like the world. He probably has the best intentions, but uh, try to do this work with the wrong actions. The, in order to try to help from the, and try to be used by God in some work, probably he must know that is the, the most important thing to start is to a change in him. We need to change ourselves first before to try to do our work for others. So, he looked like an Egyptian. Probably his rose, I can imagine all these movies that the people uh, make about this uh, time, about the prince of Egypt and so on. He treated him like a pharaoh himself, but he's probably some of that things were true. He was not, he wasn't have the mark of an evil. It was more like an Egypt. So I want to make this like a contrast to the Lord Jesus. Obviously, with the intention to have the, the rights uh, object to our hearts. Probably we can see some people in the world, even some people in the church, some public speaker, some well-known preacher, um, try to be like him. But we don't need to try to imitate other people like us, sinners like, like us. We need to imitate Jesus. Yeah. So I want to turn on to the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 24. We have here the, this special, a very precious portion of this couple of disciples traveling away from Jerusalem to the city of the Mount. 
And there is just one word that I, I want to make to uh, contrast a comparison of what we have recently saw on Moses. Moses was an Egyptian to the eyes of that young ladies. But in the verse, Luke chapter 24, um, let me start in the verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they told together of all, of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. With them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Lobas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And, who, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Just to, I, I just want to make a, a contrast or comparison between the words Egyptian in the case of Moses and the word stranger in the case of Jesus. Moses needed to be, or, or, or needed to be like an Hebrew, like a pilgrim, like a stranger in the, in the country of Egypt. But he grew like an Egyptian, a look like an Egyptian. Probably most of us are living in the same situation. We live like this world will look like uh, some some people in this world, uh, but we have we we have here in the case of Jesus someone that look like a stranger. Obviously, we have read that in verse sixteen that their eyes were restrained. But they have an impression of him. They saw him. They look at him. And they see something. They see that he was like a stranger. So we have this model to follow. This perfect model is not just a good person. It's not just a good teacher. It's not just someone that Good, good things. Is someone that look like a stranger because in this case, in this chapter, he was a racer one. He was three days in the town. Now he's alive. So we have this perfect example now. In heavens, we can look at him, and we we can uh, receive from him the very image of the glory of God, like Second Corinthians chapter three and four uh, tell us. 
So my brief message for you today, I'm struggling with my words, is to look at those these examples and to ask in our hearts, how do I look? I look like an Egyptian. And I'm not talking about just external things. We know that external things are nothing. And talking about look on our hearts. What are our, our motives or objects? We are following the world. We are searching to some things in this world. Riches, probably, fame, I don't know. The spirit of God needs to search of our hearts or own hearts to see which is the case in, in each of one, in each of us. But the question is just to finish. We are like Egyptians and we are like strangers. We are like Moses trying to do some work for God, almost with God. We have an experience next chapter in Exodus that changed all Moses' life. He was he, he needed to start to change himself. He after the that encounter with the his holy law. He changed his office into a shepherd. Mm. And the book of Genesis says that the shepherds is uh, unclean work for the Egyptians. So Moses has to um, has to hate himself, his nature. He has to unlearn what he learned with the Egyptians. He knew that he looked like an Egyptian, but now, after 40 years, Moses is a shepherd. Moses is a person that is unclean, that is hated by the Egyptians. This is the work that God wants to do with us during this pilgrimage in our lives. In order to make us strangers, like the person of Jesus. To be with him, like Moses in the learning verse. In order to look on the Holy One that now lives and lives forever but uh, whose face changed all lives. So, just to finish now, we are Egyptians or we are strangers. How is my heart today? Amen. Amen. Good morning. Keep your place there in Exodus. Chapter well, chapter three, one chapter over. If you look at Exodus chapter three. A um, it was an interesting week 
for Amer American politics if uh, maybe it wasn't uh, streamed in Chile. But um, this week, Cong uh, the House of Representatives um, voted in a new Speaker of the House. And I haven't been uh, a big fan of politics or very interested in politics for any part of my life, but the last two or three years have been very, let's just say, interesting to watch. And I don't say anything about what happened this week other than to make an example of something that one of the representatives from Florida said when he was nominating somebody for the Speaker of the House. Now, we all know, well, we don't all know, but maybe you don't know, but uh, Kevin McCarthy is now the Speaker of the House, and it took a almost a record number of votes to get him in. There was some dissension in the House. And uh, a representative from Florida, Matt Gates, stood up to nominate a guy named Jim Jordan. Now, the difference uh, between Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy, Matt Gates made out that Kevin McCarthy has spent the last 20 years wanting this position to be Speaker of the House. And there are a lot of people who say that He's earned it. He's paid his dues. He is the most qualified person to become Speaker of the House. Therefore, he should become Speaker of the House. But Matt Gates made the point, and this is the point I wanted to touch on. Matt Gates nominated Jim Jordan, and the very reason he nominated Jim Jordan was not because of his qualifications, was the fact that Jim Jordan didn't want the position. And he mentioned, he said, maybe the very reason... Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House is because he doesn't want the position. He's not seeking after it. He doesn't feel like he's qualified for it. He feels like somebody else is more qualified for it. So I make that point because in Exodus chapter 3, we have somebody else called or nominated into a speaking position uh, in the house of God, and that's Moses. And Moses himself similar to the, to the example given uh, uh, in American politics, himself didn't feel like he was qualified. In fact, he had a, a lot of reasons, excuses why he could not take the position that God was calling him to. And we'll skim through chapter 3, chapter 4, and then a verse in chapter 6. But Moses had a long list, almost a resume, resume of unqualifications, of all these reasons why he told God that he could not complete the task that God was setting out before him. So God was sending Moses back to Egypt back to Egypt to free his people, to take his people out of slavery, out of bondage. But Moses uh, initially says when God uh, calls him out to do this, in verse 11 of chapter 3, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So Moses' first uh, excuse as to why he couldn't uh, complete God's task was that he, didn't, he wasn't capable. He lacked ca the capability to free, to approach Pharaoh and to free God's people from Egypt. And then if we, we go down to chapter uh, 3, verse 13, Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? Moses' complaint is that 
He lacks the capability, but also he lacks a message. He doesn't have a message. You know, how many times have we heard that uh, from young people, old people, um, when God has called them to, to do something that they aren't capable and they don't have a story to tell? They don't have a message for the people. So Moses says, I'm not capable. I have no message. What what shall I say to them? And then if you, if you jump over to chapter 4, this is Moses again answering God. Moses answered and said, ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 1, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not ap- appeared to you. So now Moses' excuses, he has no authority. They won't respect what he has to say because he has no authority. They will say uh, they won't believe him or they will say the Lord hasn't appeared to you. And then if you jump down into verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So now he is uh, not eloquent enough. He doesn't have the right words to say. He's just gonna. He's, he's just gonna come across as, as dumb. It's not gonna make any sense. No one's gonna understand anything he has to say. Send somebody else. I'm not your guy. You're gonna have to find someone else. I'm not capable. I don't have anything to say. I have no authority, and I can't even get the words out of my mouth in a in a full sentence. And then we go down again, and I'm just running through these quickly for the sake of time. But if we go um, down again to uh, verse, maybe it's in the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 23, verse 22, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? So, verse 23, sorry. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So now his complaint is, I haven't been successful in the past. Why should I keep trying? I I, I don't have the ability to do this as evidenced by the lack of results. I mean, this is the world we live in. It's a results-driven world. If you don't succeed first, then just quit because <laughs> you're not going to get any better at it. So he's got a long list of excuses. There's one more excuse uh, in chapter 6, verse 12. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I for I am of uncircumcised lips. So he hasn't been accepted before. He won't be accepted now. The words are coming from the wrong person, is what Moses is saying. There is somebody else who is more qualified for this position. So all these excuses, while they look like they disqualify Moses from this position, that God has called him to, that he's been nominated for by God, 
they are in fact actually what qualify Moses even the more. Because Moses is, ne- is not seeking out this position. He's not seeking out uh, a, a, a place of, of authority. He's not seeking out a place of, of power and wealth and high standing in society. He's not doing that. That's what the, that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the, um, the, the rulers in, in Israel did in the New Testament. That's why we get that in Luke, I think it's chapter 18, we get that contrast between the Pharisee and the publican and praying out loud in front of everybody. You know, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. I'm so glad I'm not like the tax collector. And then you have the tax collector in private saying, save me, I'm a sinner. I'm, a, I'm, I'm wretched. Moses isn't seeking these positions out. He's, he's, he's making a list of excuses saying that he's disqualified from service. But that attitude that he has is what qualifies him. That he's not seeking out anything except for God's glory. And so we might not be the best speakers, myself first. We might not be the, 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 um, the most eloquent. We might not be the most capable. We might not have the most authority. You know, Paul said to Tim, to Timothy, he said, don't let them forsake your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean that you don't have a message. You know, we all, we, we, there's another excuse that we don't have a message, that we don't have a testimony. Who's heard of that before? We don't have a testimony. But God doesn't call the qualified. We've heard this before too, but he qualifies the called. And so he calls Moses here. And he qualifies him. He calls him and lets him know that even though you have all these shortcomings that you think you have, you're going to be my guy and you're going to free my people. Even though you think you're disqualified, that very attitude qualifies us. So the Lord help us to have a similar attitude to Moses. We might have all the excuses, but if God calls us, let's be faithful to answer his call. And and think of ourselves in the same um, uh, humble way with humility as Moses did, but not just to think of ourselves in that way and and uh, not answer the call, because Moses answers the call. You know, even if he wasn't willing to do it, and Moses answered the call in the end, and we see uh, what happened in his life. So may God help us uh, to have the same attitude. Amen. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, a very familiar verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now this he spoke to the whole assembly in uh, Corinth, it wasn't to preachers or elders, it was to all the beloved brethren. Be steadfast, unmovable, mm-hmm. have a purpose, don't move from that purpose, keep your focus. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
But we read in Colossians, the very last verses, in Colossians, <clears throat> Chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul doesn't often accept in uh, salutations name people. In Philippians, he names the two sisters that were having a problem, Eodius and Sintichi. And here's another place. I mean, it was, it was important for him to name them. And here's another place where he names someone that's not a salutation. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfillest. We don't know what it was that turned Archippus away from the work of the Lord. That's really not significant. It is enough to see that he had a commission from the Lord, a ministry that he was called to do for the Lord, and he was moving away from that, some other priority had captured his heart in such a way it was so evident that the Apostle Paul reproves him, exhorts him, tells the brethren there to speak to Archippus. And it's interesting that perhaps he was not Coming to the meetings, uh, why, when the, this letter was read, did he not hear it? I don't know. But he needed to fulfill what God had given him to do. And so we think again of what Paul said, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Abounding is just that, overflowing in the work of the Lord. And we know without question, that there are deterrents that keep us from the work of the Lord. <laughs> I was just <laughs> teasing Brother Anthony and Sister America, and uh, yet in First Corinthians 7, I say this not to them, but I mean all of us, you know, one of the, the hindrances to doing the work of the Lord was marriage itself. That very... Uh, uh, um, blessing from God that was given that two should be stronger than one in service to the Lord if there's not commitment individually to the Lord can lead to a distraction from the one who has that purpose of heart to serve the Lord in the parable of the seed and the sower uh, there were worries and the cares of this world the choke to see. Fear is one of the things that keeps us from doing the work of the Lord, but fear has another side. The other side of fear is always 
a craving within the flesh for something else. And because I crave for something else, I'm afraid of losing that thing, whatever it might be, whatever hope or dream. And in that fear, I don't have courage to do what God's called me to do. Because it does take courage to do what God has called us to do. And that also implies that we are to know what God has called us to do. The ministry that he's called us to do. The work that he's called us to do. That should put us on our knees. Then we would seek to have assurance from God as to what he has purposed for me in his work. It doesn't mean that you go to some foreign land. It may mean that uh, uh, a mother stays home so she can teach her children the things of God and the things related to learning as well. It may mean that instead of taking another promotion or instead of getting that loan to buy a bigger home, instead of putting financial pressure upon myself and my family, I commit myself to settle with what we have so we can put the Lord's interests first. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Amen. Amen. Amen.